0: So, th- this is kind of funny. Uh, my wife laughed really hard at me for this. Uh, uh, somebody at Element last week uh, gave me this thing, and inside of it was this, this fake uh, nail through the finger thing. It kind of looks like this. Okay? So, it's not real. I stick it on my finger, and I, and I take a picture, and I send it to my wife and to my friend Pete, and I go, oh, look, and he, sends, and, he re- and he comes back, and he goes, that's not real, is it? And I go, no, no. An hour later, I sent him this picture. that's real an hour later so it's like haha I did it. right there so it's like it's like seriously my guitar hand so i'm like i'm not playing with this finger at all this morning so if anything messes up really bad it's my fault uh but yeah so i got liquid bandage over it trying to just hold it together my wife said i really need stitches but i'm like no i'll be a man i don't want to go to the er for like a finger wound I maybe mean, if i lost it right if i cut it off i'd go but no men don't go for finger wounds <laughs> <laughs> rah There you go. You're welcome for terrible pictures that you never want to see again up on on the screen. A couple things. Uh, Christy is starting a parenting class starting this Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. People have asked, what age is this for? It's for parents of all ages. There's stuff that's really good for all ages. Uh, I've read the book, Grace-Based Parenting. It's an excellent book. Excellent book. And so the workbooks are $15. bucks. we are not making any money on them. That, that's what they cost. And if you would like to go, we encourage you to sign up uh, in the back. Uh, and again, it starts this Wednesday. Uh, we have two people leaving tomorrow to go with a bunch of other ladies from other churches to Thailand to work at the Tamar Center. Uh, the Tamar Center is a ministry that we at Element support financially and help send people there. And what they do is they get young girls out of prostitution. Uh, prostitution is, has one of the highest rates in the country of Thailand. And a lot of times the parents will even send their kids into the city to go prostitute themselves so they can get a new TV. It's horrible. So we want to go and help them get out of that. And so we do things for that. Uh, and so we have two people, uh, Deborah Kaylor, and also give me next service as well as Missy Hansen. They're both leaving tomorrow, so please keep them in your prayers. I'll put it in the email update this week, their names, so you don't forget to pray for them while they're over there in the ministry that they're doing. And lastly, the Go Go Bags tent is still out here. Uh, Go Bags is to help these kids who get pulled out of homes due to abuse. And when they usually get pulled out of these homes, they have nothing with them. And so we're trying to make sure they have a bag of like uh, some some pajamas, uh, toothbrush, toothpaste that their infants that They have a blanket to take with them. Uh, and so if you go out there, there's a list of what to bring. Uh, even though we say we're collecting them all the month of February, uh, next Sunday is March 1st. We're going to be out there collecting them March 1st as well. So we'd encourage you guys, if you would pick a couple things up this week and bring them for the go bags and put them in, get them to where they're supposed to go so we can help some kids. Right? All right, I think I heard an amen for someone in my GC who's doing this with us, so the rest of you should say amen. And, uh, welcome to Element. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Inside there, you'll get some notes about the message, uh, some questions to hopefully take you a little bit deeper with some friends, with your family, uh, just to kind of, with your gospel community, to hopefully get you to a place where you start to live and understand the gospel a little bit better. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app, it is called YouVersion, you can click on live and you version we will come up by gps in your smartphone and you will get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions and all that goes along with today's message uh, my name is Aaron I am one of the pastors here Want don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word this is Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 and it says my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives let's pray Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people to understand uh, your discipline when it comes and to not run from it, but to understand that you are a God who loves us and you want us to grow into the people you call us to be. And so there are some situations that come into our lives that are hard and that you discipline us through. And I ask that we would listen to what you say in the midst of it and that we would grow to better honor and reflect who you are through the midst of our trials and our sufferings. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so we are in a series that is covering uh, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, In Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see these seven different churches that Jesus has this guy named John write a letter to. They're really Jesus' words that John is writing down and sending to these churches. And what we're doing is we're calling this our Lent-like journey that's taking us towards... Easter, uh, Lent, the real Lent actually started last Wednesday, we've been doing it a few weeks and the idea behind it is to allow God to take his bright light and shine to deep into our heart, all the recesses that we try to hide so that he can come and bring things to light and we can deal with those as we move towards Easter and resurrection because the whole idea of Lent is this slow, somber, reflective build up to the place where we realize that our God has risen from the dead to rescue and redeem us so Easter becomes this joyous, loud celebration. Okay, I got about 10% of you, and we're getting better with that. Alright. And so, as again, I said in that vein, we are looking at these churches in the book of Revelation. Open to Revelation chapter 2. We see Jesus' hard words as also his encouragements. Uh, And today we get to one of the hardest words at all, especially when it deals with our culture, because Jesus starts talking about today the issue of tolerance. Uh, And up front, I would like to say to you, don't shoot the messenger. All right? I'm reading the scriptures. I'd also like to say, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, do not be a jerk about it. All right? Because that also is not living the gospel, all right? It's a horrible thing. Uh, When it comes to the scriptures today, you can do three things with them. You can follow them, you can reject them, you can try to change them. You only have those three options. And people who cling to what our cultural view of tolerance is would hold position number three, always trying to change the scriptures. We want to usher the Bible into the 21st century so it agrees with us. That's always dangerous. Because if it was up to me, the Bible would say, the more cookies you eat, the godlier you are. So it's not always a good idea. So I'm going to do is going to jump in here. We're going to see how many of you I can offend today. Starting in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, starts like this. And to the angel, the word angel simply means messenger. So this could be to the pastor, uh, the lead pastor, the elders, whatever, the leaders, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? And I'll give you a little bit of background more quickly on the, the city of Thyatira. There isn't a whole lot here. It's not like last week. Uh, but Thyatira is not mentioned itself in a lot of ancient historical literature because it was small. Some people think Thyatira is probably around 5,000 people when this letter is written, and that is actually pretty small. And even today, if you go to Thyatira, which is called Ashesar today, today, uh, you'll find almost no ancient ruins. Actually, the stuff that they excavate literally takes up one city block. Here's a picture. It's right there. Now, if you were to go there, like I said, you could drive around the block. Here's another picture. Oh, look, there's the cars. Here's another picture. There's There's some houses in the road right there. That's about the size of it. There there really, really isn't much there. Now, here's the map I keep showing you every week. And Thyatira is about 35 miles uh, southeast from Pergamum. It's above a little city uh, called Lydia that's right there as well. And everybody, though, uh, kind of passed through the city. It's one on, on the ancient Roman roads that went through a lot of places. Uh, Thyatira, uh, had, a, uh, they found stuff that dates back all the way to about 3,000 B.C., some housewares, so people were there for a really, really long time. And because it sat where it did between 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 all these different cities and people pass through, it's one of the first places money was actually used. Because you have people from all these different cities, all these different walks of life. How are we going to exchange goods here? Well, let's make a common currency that we can exchange. So that's where money was first used. Uh, It's one of those places, again, where everybody kind of passes through, but nobody wants to live there unless your wagon breaks down. You don't don't have have enough money to fix it. Like maybe uh, Gary (laughs) or Kuyama or... Missouri, right, Iowa, Iowa, you know, whatever, you know, anything there kind of in the best, kind of of break down. Uh, the The Romans actually put a garrison here because of all the money that actually got exchanged in the city. And because of where it sat again between all these cities, everybody passed through here. And what happens to, you know, a town where a lot of people pass through all the time? Shops start to come. It's kind of like Kettleman City, right? Nobody really wants to live there. Everybody kind of passes through there to get something to eat. But in this day, it's like, you couldn't like eat lunch and then go another couple hundred miles. In this day, it's like when you stopped, I mean, you, you didn't go that far on a horse or walk in or on your little bug, whatever. You didn't go that far. And so there's like, you know, a lot of hotels and a lot of people started to sell what are called hard goods there. Hard goods, And as a matter of fact, uh, in order to sell hard goods there, everybody had to be part of a trade union or a trade guild of some sort. And all these trade guilds worship different guild gods. History tells us that in Thyatira, more than any other city in Asia... It had more trade guilds than any other city. That's how many people came there to try and sell their goods. And so, again, these are hard goods. And so you would have wool workers and linen workers and makers of outer garments and dyers and leather workers and tanners and potters and bakers and slave dealers and bronze smiths. Uh, just reading in my own quiet time on Monday, I'm going through the book of Acts because we're going to teach through that next year. In Acts 16, 11 through 15, you meet a woman named Lydia who comes to faith in Christ and she was a seller of purple goods from Thyatira. So you have the city of all these different guilds worshiping all these different guild gods, but in order to be part of the union, actually to sell things there, you had to pay your dues. You had to do what they said to do. See, nothing's really changed. It's like my wife; she is required to be part of a union where she works, and all the union dues that that she seems to give them always goes towards causes that we don't agree with. See, nothing has changed. See, it's, it's, it's exactly, it's exactly the same. We think we're so much further along than those country bumpkins. We're exactly, exactly the same, and so. And Thyatira, the commercial society, kind of revolved around all these guilds. Every guild owned a certain amount of property in its name. Uh, They made contracts. They wielded influence in the city's political, economic, social, and religious life. Uh, Again, any person who was in the city trying to sell something had to be part of one of these guilds. Guild membership was compulsory for anyone trying to have a trade. So you have these unions or these guilds, and they said, well, we'll give you benefits for being part of us. We'll protect your interests. Each guild, again, had its own patron deity, and each guild meeting you would go to would start off with worship of this deity, of this god or goddess. Uh, The guilds would hold banquets in their temples. If their land wasn't big enough to have a temple, they would rent one out, maybe like the Elks Lodge or something. See, again, just like today. And at the end of the evening, they would take all the animals sacrificed in worship. They would cook them eat them, and then they would have large sexual orgies. Like you do, apparently, right? And so, so, this: you you become a Christian. You become a Christian. You're in this city. Do you think you have a dilemma on your hands? Yes, okay? Six of you think that you have a dilemma. The rest of you, yes. (laughs) This is a dilemma. It's like, sounds great to me. No, (laughs) it's not a good thing. Okay, number one. Christian community would lose they'd risk their loss of income refusing to join these guilds or not take part in these rituals secondly if you're a Christian craftsman in this commercial trade your financial security is tied up in this and so you face really really strong temptation to compromise by living in this culture so you become a Christian you're in a guild and all of a sudden they say pay your dues and you're like but I don't like where the money's going show up to our feast and worship the false demon pagan god of whatever it is you're like but I worship Jesus Eat the food sacrificed to the idols. Well, I don't think the idols really a god. I don't have a problem with it, but I don't want to support you in this weirdness over here because that's a worship act for you. After we're all done eating and drinking, we're going to wife swap, so bring your wife when you get here. And you're like, uh, again, I- I'm a Christian. I don't want to give money to a cause I don't believe in. I don't want to worship a false god, and I don't want Larry the spackle-cracked plumber having sex with my wife, and so I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know? What do you do? Wh- what do you do? If you stand up for what Jesus calls you to, they kick you out of the guild. You lose your job. You lose your income. You may even lose your family because your family probably thinks it's all okay. They may even turn their back on you. You might lose your friends and you're faced with destitution, poverty, and exile. What happens? What do you do? Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so what Jesus does is he starts by reminding them who he is. He sets it out, I am the Son of God. You see this title given to him throughout the scriptures, but this is the only place in the book of Revelation where Jesus takes the title for himself, and it's to this church. I think it's to remind them of who he is in the midst of the city that they live in. All the Roman emperors would call themselves sons of God to justify their temples and their their forced worship throughout the empire. Jesus comes. He uses the term rightly. He is saying that he rules over all peoples and times and places and cultures and preferences. And this is the resurrected Jesus. This is the Jesus who has ascended to his throne. He is speaking authoritatively into the church that belongs to him. It means that he has the right to say whether you and I individually or collectively are being obedient Or disobedient. Whether our belief is orthodox or heretical. Jesus says, Thyatira, you are my church. He says, Element, you are my church. We are Jesus' church. It doesn't matter what we think or or what we feel. It matters what Jesus says. So it says, whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Like, oh, Jesus is so dreamy. He's got eyes like fire. They just burn. No, that's not what it means. It also doesn't mean like Katniss Everdeen and catching the fire. What, okay, what, what it means is eyes like fire is that he sees everything. Everything we try to put up to block in our lives so we can't see our hearts, he burns right through. He sees everything. All the places where you've gone to the guild meetings and done the stuff that went back to your Christian community and said, Oh, I didn't go to the guild meeting. He sees all of that. He sees everything that you try to hide. And he pierces through these things and the judgments that he makes are right judgments. It says, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Again, Thyatira has a very strong bronze guild. They made all sorts of bronze goods. This would be like Jesus saying, my feet are secure. My feet do not move. I have placed them where they are for a reason. I am unshakable. And your faith in me is in a firm foundation. So he starts, this is who I am, trust me, and then he goes into the positive. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So if he was talking to us, he would say, Element, you know, I I, I know you have these gospel communities that reach out to the world, and that's a great thing. You do Cinderella's Closet where you love on these young ladies. You take care of children during Christmas for kids. You're serving your city. You do go bags to help displaced children. You have a lot of civic involvement. You care about people because they're made in the image of God. You send people overseas to different places to try and help get girls out of prostitution. These are wonderful things. Keep that stuff up. Keep doing that. Be a giver, not a taker. But what you do to Thyatira is you get one sentence of good. And then it's all just bad after that, and you know that's not going to go well. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay any burden any other burden on you. Hold fast to what you have until I come, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works. Until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an a rod of iron. And as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear; let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the middle of that, here's some very interesting things. It's like it's like her works, your works, versus my works if you want to be a people who trust in your works you're just done for be a people who trust in my works and what i've done but in the midst of all that you may have missed what's so offensive to our culture today which is really almost the church's biggest issue today which is verse 20 says but i have this against you that you tolerate that woman jezebel let me ask you are you a tolerant person are you It's hard to answer that question with our culture today because some people say, yes, I'm open, I'm loving, I'm progressive. Some people say, well, no, not really because I'm going to follow what I believe no matter what. Uh, the word tolerance in the scriptures is the word iao, and it means to allow, to permit, to let someone do as they please, to leave them alone. And it sounds really nice, right? But it doesn't actually just stop there. The word means to, you go so far as to never hold anything back from anybody. It would be like your neighbor has a vicious dog, big one, right? And it's always walking off leash, and it's always attacking kids in your neighborhood or attacking you or Peeing on your lawn and making it die or whatever, you know, just doing all this crazy stuff. You're like, I don't like this dog, but no one does anything about it. You call it like animal control? Oh, it's not a big deal. We don't care. Nobody puts a leash on it and holds it back. That's what tolerance is here. It's like there is no restraint to anything. It keeps going on and on and on. This is actually what our culture wants and exactly what this church does too much of. You are too tolerant. I know it sounds exactly the opposite of what people say about the church today. They say, the church today, you need to be more tolerant, right? That's what they say. Today we are told by our media, our books, by our fake news, by our real news, that we all need to get along, and the way we do that is tolerance. And so how do you really answer the question, are you a tolerant person? I mean, if you're a Christian, you're probably being asked that question. If you're a non-Christian, you're probably asking the question. But what is the answer to the question? Are you a tolerant person? Is Christianity a tolerant people? G.K. Chesterton said this great quote. He says, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. I thought it was hilarious. I put it on my Facebook page last year, and someone sent back, and they said, you trying to start a fight with me? I'm like, <laughs> Oh, Okay. Sounds like someone's intolerant. You know? <laughs> It's, it's kind of funny. Some would say Christians are intolerant. Some Christians would say other people are intolerant of uh, Christians. Tolerance is an assumed virtue in our culture. And if you don't hold to like an, an open, tolerant view where you not just you know, are okay with what people are doing, but actually support them in the midst of it and embrace everyone and everything, well, then you're bigoted and, and narrow-minded and discriminatory. You're primitive because you don't support all of these things. You're the guy who calls the waitress sweetie while beating his wife at home because she didn't make his sandwich tasty enough. You know That's you. You're intolerant. I mean, today, tolerance is mostly defined by allowing other people to believe in ways that we don't agree with, support the right to do so, and refuse to judge their viewpoint by all the things that they do, whether they're being right or wrong. We, we can't do any of it. And as a result, in most circles, criticizing someone else's beliefs means that you are arrogant, or you are ignorant, or both. And people who don't believe in Jesus will quote like the one verse, verse they heard their pot dealer say, which is, judge not, Jesus says, judge not, that's all I got except for one problem. That's really not what Jesus says, and it's really not what he meant. Jesus actually told his followers to judge, but not self-righteously, to judge in a way that is in line with the gospel. He gave them instructions for how to do it properly. And before we go much farther this morning, I want you not to misunderstand me. I am not saying all tolerance is a bad thing. I think rightly understood, it is a great thing. I believe God's people need to be tolerant. I think tolerance is a necessary part for the fabric of any diverse society. But tolerance no longer means what it really came to eventually mean. Tolerance meant, once meant granting others the freedom to be wrong. It didn't mean that you couldn't critique or criticize or have a differing opinion. Tolerance meant that you could share your opinion and view in a spirit of grace and humility. But that's a long way today from where our tolerance is, is you've just got to support everybody in everything and everybody's right. But statistically, not everybody can be right. If everybody's right, that can't be true. It's, it's not a true statement. Today's crazy cultural view of tolerance has become so widely adopted that even a lot of Christians in the church think it's inappropriate to criticize or critique other religious beliefs or moral standards. And as Christians, you, know, you end up in a very hard place. It's like, you know, what do I do in this definition of tolerance? How do I live in a way that I can share the gospel while being tolerant in some ways and, and not in others? The main critical rebuke of this church in Thyatira is that they are too tolerant. See, you know, why is Jesus talking to these churches? What does he keep doing? He keeps trying to reset them and refocus back on the mission. This is who I called you to be in the world. You're to be a light, you know, a light on a hill, a city on a hill. This is who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to live on mission for my name. What's mission? Mission is glorifying God and discipling one another, speaking the gospel into each other's lives, the truth and the honesty of who he calls us to be, laughing with each other, crying with each other, supporting one another, and sometimes getting in each other's faces. The gospel is how we have every conversation that we have. The good news of Jesus speaks into everything that we do. And this is what it's I want you guys to live on mission for my name. And toleration is an ongoing issue in the church. The question becomes, how can or how does the church retain a biblical conviction in the midst of a culture that does not love or want to follow Jesus? Jesus says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, very quickly here, Jezebel is a type of woman. Okay, Jesus is giving a metaphor for a type of person. Like if I called someone a Judas... Or I called someone a Benedict Arnold, or I called someone a deadhead, or I called someone a believer. Right? You, know, okay, you mostly know what I'm talking about, right? You know, no one's going to name their kid believer. You know, no one's hopefully going to name their kid Jezebel either. It'd just be horrible. Now, the first real Jezebel is found in, in the book of First Kings. Jezebel is the daughter of the king of Sidon. Uh, she goes and she marries Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. She becomes very, very powerful. And what she does is she brings her own priests in who serve and worship false gods. She didn't like the leaders that God had set up, his priests, so she goes and she kills them all, and she puts forward her own priests to have an alternative spirituality looked a little bit like Judaism, enough to entice a lot of Jews to think it was okay, but it evolves and goes into demon worship and sexual perversion, as it seems like cults always seem to go towards that direction. And sexual perversion is not just crazy orgies. It could, sexual perversion could be someone saying, oh, you know, sex is only for procreation, not any other time. No, God gave sex for pleasure. That's also sexual perversion to say you can only have it to make babies. Guys, if you were married, we want you to have sex all the time. Okay? It's amazing. Do it in the right way. But it can be anything where we try and change the word of God to mean something that it doesn't. Now, Jezebel's priests in the Old Testament, they were the new ones. They were the enlightened. They were the more tolerant. They were the more diverse. They're the ones that would go on all the, all the TV talk shows and, and talk about their crazy views of God. Oprah would give them like their own show on her network. You know, it, it's, it's comprised this deluded faith. In Thyatira, there's a woman like Jezebel. Somehow she worms her way into church leadership. She is powerful, and yet she becomes very divisive. She assumes a position of leadership that God never gave her. She starts calling herself a prophetess. She starts giving herself these titles. A lot of people really, really like titles. You ever meet somebody? It's like, oh, hi. And they're, oh, no, my name is you know Reverend Pastor Most High, so-and-so, or whatever, right? And you're like... Okay, you know, I don't get it. Some people just really like that. That, That's her. They love titles. And what she starts teaching from her own position of leadership that she has put upon herself is she says, don't listen to the people that teach simply the scriptures alone. You know, they're not as lightened as me or, or my teachers. I have new insights. I have a deeper understanding. I have a more profound knowledge of the stuff that you are merely reading. I have Bible scholars that completely agree with me. They have new interpretations and new books and new perspectives. And I, these will give you new experiences that will take your spirituality farther and deeper beyond simply what the scriptures teach. See, Jezebel is teaching things, but the reason she's really so popular is, Jesus says, it's not because her teaching is biblical, it's because she allows Christians to do whatever the guilds tell them to do. Whatever they really want to do while approving it. This would be someone today who would come up and say, well, you know, you can have sex outside of marriage, it's, it's okay, as long as you feel like you're married in your heart. Well, that's okay. You can watch porn and live in the kingdom of God. You can commit adultery and still call yourself a Christian. It, it's okay. God doesn't judge, we don't judge, we, shouldn't, we should be tolerant and diverse. Jesus loves you, you know, we love you, and who are we to judge? What does Jesus say? He says, but I have this against you. You tolerate that. See how those are some hard words for our culture? You you tolerate that. Through all of these letters, Jesus teaches people how to live on mission with and for him. Again, mission is discipling one another. It's living the good news of the gospel in our lives with each other, speaking the gospel to each other. Our culture's tolerance is not living on mission, and it's not speaking the gospel. See, whenever we reduce the belief in the authority of Scripture, the necessity of Jesus alone for salvation, His sinless life, His substitutionary death, His bodily resurrection, turning from sin, trusting in Him, any time we put that to the side, we are compromising the gospel. We are. Everything always comes back to Jesus. And it's not grace to not sometimes call people out on their garbage. It's, it's the exact opposite of grace. We need to be people to understand that grace sometimes steps into very hard situations. That's some very hard words. Almost inevitably really behind people doing this kind of stuff is just some kind of sin. I know there are some people who have legitimate questions regarding faith. But a lot of times... People who just keep saying things like, well, I'm not too sure about Jesus anymore. It's not really about those questions. It's more that they really want to do something they're not supposed to be doing. And Thyatira, what happens, this is what when theological disagreement becomes moral disobedience. This is what you see. See, we got to understand that, yes, Jesus paid for our sin. Our salvation is free. But when we live in the midst of a culture, a lot of times faithfulness to God, we start to pay a heavy price for that. Because culture doesn't like that sometimes. And you've got these people and these guilds, and they're pulling them in all sorts of ways. You know, they, they, they want to serve Jesus, but the parties are fun. You know, they want to grow in Christ, but don't want to lose their livelihood. So this woman comes along and says, you can have both. You can have both. You don't need to pick and choose between faithfulness to Jesus and sin. You can have and do both. Jesus is okay with it. I'll tell you, Jesus is not okay with it. He is simply not okay with it. When we follow Jesus, many times our lives get harder because we're living for something, someone greater than ourselves. And he calls us something greater and bigger, something that pulls all the chains that bind us and breaks them and sets them aside so we can live in freedom as God calls us to. I mean, I've read a lot of articles now of what you know Christian tolerance is supposed to be. Everybody has so many diverse opinions. Uh, there's a blog we're going to put on our website today that kind of goes into what we're talking about a little bit, goes a little bit deeper, and I put a link to this article written by Timothy Keller that's called Preaching Hell in an Age of Tolerance. It's at the bottom of the blog. If you want to go look at it today on our website, it should be there this afternoon. What I want to briefly do as we kind of round this out is I want to talk about what I think Christian tolerance is supposed to be and what it isn't supposed to be. Um, I, I, kinda stole these from the Resurgence website, which is no longer up, so, bummer. I, you can't even go look at it. But anyway, I'll give you these. Number one, Christian tolerance is legal tolerance and culture. Christian tolerance is legal tolerance and culture. This means that we believe that Muslims have the right to worship, and Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons, and Buddhists, and atheists have the right to have faith whenever they want. It's why Jedi Knight can be a religion in England, you know, and not that we agree with it, but you know, we tolerate it. Christians should have legal tolerance of other views because Christianity is not a religion and not a belief system that is imposed. It is about loving Jesus, and you can't pass a law that says everybody has to love Jesus. You simply can't do that. Mark Driscoll once wrote, we don't impose Christian faith, but we propose Christian faith. That means that we talk about Jesus, that he loves people. We want people to love him. And if somebody comes along and says, do you tolerate other religions? Our answer is yes, yes. Because, one, we're supposed to, and secondly, we're Americans, and yeah, we want to defend the law, the right to people to practice whatever religion they want, whether we disagree with what they believe or not. Because we believe when you throw Christianity in the mix, the truth always wins, and we are not afraid of other beliefs. Secondly, Christian tolerance is social tolerance in communities. It is social tolerance in communities. You have a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor who disagrees with them. You tolerate them personally and socially. You love them. Why? Because Jesus tells you to love your neighbor. So you love them. He doesn't say you have to agree with them. He doesn't say you have to do whatever they want to do. you got someone new who shows up in the neighborhood, and you're like, hey, I brought some cookies. And like, oh, come in, having a party. Throw your keys in the bowl. We're swingers. You're like, got to go, right? But you can still love on them. You can still serve them, and you can still be a good neighbor. Why? Because Jesus says to. Thirdly, Christian tolerance is theological tolerance within the framework of Christianity. This means people who love Jesus, we can b- believe a diverse amount of things. We have people at Element who believe in the rapture, some who don't. Some who speak in tongues, some who don't. Some who private school, some who homeschool, some public school. Uh, some are Calvinists, some are Arminians. These are distinctions, they're not divisions. We can disagree and still love each other because we serve the same Jesus. It's all about serving and following Jesus, and we're family. There must be that in the church. Otherwise, the church becomes very narrow. and We start trying to string each other up for heresy. All right? We love Jesus first. okay? But, 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 one T, but, Christian tolerance is not heretical tolerance in the church. And when I talk about heretical tolerance, I'm not talking about you know, political ideology. That's not what I'm talking about. There are certain beliefs that we as a church will die on. This is, the Bible is God's word, Jesus God's son, Jesus lived without sin, died on a cross, in our place for our sin, rose as our savior. And if somebody comes along and is teaching heresy while claiming to be a Christian, or doing what Jezebel is doing, and teaching false doctrine, encouraging false thinking, false behaving, we need to step in and say, we don't tolerate that. It's one of the reasons that our membership class at Element is eight weeks long. It is eight weeks of doctrine doctrine okay we teach the bible we believe the bible we actually hold to what the bible says over what our culture says we're not ashamed of the gospel we are not ashamed of what we believe and we don't ever try to hide what we believe from you we set it right out in front of you so you know what we believe we believe what the bible has written from beginning to end we have deep convictions to love jesus be faithful to him and though sometimes we might offend people by that we never want to offend jesus and fourthly christian tolerance is not moral tolerance ...in the church. He says, but I have this against you... ...that you tolerate that woman Jezebel... ...who calls herself a prophetess... ...and is teaching and seducing my servants... ...to practice sexual immorality... ...and to eat food sacrifice to idols. She's teaching them... ...go do whatever the guilds tell you to do... ...it's all okay. See, within the church... ...and with gospeling one another... ...and living gospel fluency... ...with each other on mission... ...there are places we step into... ...because there are things... ...that we should not accept... ...from people who profess the name of Christ... You know, especially if they're in your gospel community you're claiming to be members of, of Element or something like that, we step into those places. And I, I am not talking about non-Christians, okay? I am talking about professing believers in the body of Christ who are doing some crazy stuff. We have the right to step in and say, this is not okay. This is not okay. Jesus says, this I have against you. You tolerate things that I don't tolerate. You've got to understand, Christianity begins and ends with Jesus. He is the one who moves us to repentance, he will take other people, place them in our lives to grow us and help us stay accountable. That is discipling one another. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. This is true. Jesus saves us just as we are. We all come to Jesus as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, so he begins to grow us up. Jay Packard said, Christianity is about repentance, and any time we don't practice repentance of our sin and preach repentance for other sins, we're heretics because Christianity is about repentance. In verse 29, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I mean, Jesus comes in he gives, you know, one sense of encouragement, a whole lot of straighten up, but it's never for the purpose of tearing down the church. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church. It's for the purpose of building them up. He wants them to live on mission, who he calls them to be. So he says, listen to me. I gave you ears for a reason. Listen. He says to Jezebel and her followers, I will give to each of you according to your works, these works that you are doing. Again, if you want to live by your works, you're done. You're just done. But he brings it together at the end and says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who's not holding this teaching. You know, keep my works, what I have done. What has he done? He has lived, died, rose from the dead to pay for our sins, to bring us to God. It is his finished work that saves us. It is not our intellectual prowess, our good deeds, our own reasoning, our strength, our character. It is Jesus who brings redemption and healing. And our only proper response in any of this is to bow down to Him because only living in Him do our lives make any sense whatsoever. And I understand it is hard. It is hard to live for Jesus in the midst of a culture that says, make it all about you. You deserve this. You need that. Visit that webpage. Smoke that. Spend all your hard-earned money or the money the government gives you on whatever you want and be mad when someone comes up and they don't tolerate you for whatever you want to do because you're the center. Well, we have to understand is that Jesus is the center and only Jesus is worthy. And so this comes to the hard Lent questions that I have for you this week. Uh, they were in, they're in the sermon notes. If you guys don't have them or don't run down fast enough, you can take one with you and go through them. Here are the questions. Number one, where have you compromised your beliefs because it's easier to live in tolerance? Secondly, where have you compromised yourself because you want what you want and not necessarily what God wants in your life? Thirdly, what authorities that are not Jesus do you allow to govern and speak into your life? And fourthly, what are the truths that you want to shy away from rather than living in the truths of Christ? See, we need to be a people who leave attire behind and live in the grace and the truth of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. And, and sometimes when you talk about this kind of stuff, it really offends a lot of people. I can't do whatever I want. I, you, your life is found in Jesus. It is his. By us by, always saying, oh, I can't do whatever I want, that's trying to make God part of our story. I want to do what I want and have God over here. Our stories mean nothing. It is God's story. We become part of his story. He invites us into his story. It's his redemption. It's him. And that's when our lives make sense because it's his story. By always trying to make it about us, we lose the whole intent and idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our lives are meant to be found in him. And then all of this starts to make a little more sense because it's all about what he calls us to That doesn't mean we go and we hold signs and we protest. It means that we love others as Jesus has loved us. And how has he loved us? Exactly as we are. He has called us exactly as we are. And then he starts to grow us up into the people he intends for us to be. How are you to love other people? Exactly as they are. And then you begin to live the gospel and hope and truth in their lives. And hopefully they come to know Jesus and Jesus begins to change them. I mean, sometimes when we hear the word tolerance, all we go to is politics. I think it has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the grace and the hope and the truth of the gospel. This is why we talk about communion every week. I mean, it's where you break that cracker. You remember that Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine and the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. It's a place where we come and we lay all of our garbage down in remembrance of what he has done for us that our God loved us the way he tolerated us the way that we were while we were still sinners, and yet we come to him and then he changes us completely. And he says, now, as my bride, as my children, let's live differently. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you said to take communion, be some deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a place today and you maybe tolerate some things you don't or you shouldn't, uh, maybe you should be tolerating some things that you're not. You know, ask God to teach you how to live in grace and hope and truth of what the gospel truly teaches. And if that's where you are, they'd love to pray with you about it. If you have any questions about Jesus or anything, they'd love to talk to you about it. There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving to so part part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. Uh, it's a response to what he's done. And there's some food in the back. Uh, one of my friends said they bake something like eight or ten dozen Oatmeal cookies? If you're going to eat oatmeal, you should be in a cookie. So, so, amen. That's all, the only amen I get this morning, right? Um, so they're going to be back there, grab grab a cookie, meet some people. And, and we do that so you get to know some other people. And when you get to know other people, you know, take some of these questions in there and walk through those and ask those hard questions. Because really the only way we're going to start to live in a way that we understand the grace of God in our lives is with other people. And so we encourage you, get connected to the people. Uh, get involved in a gospel community. Allow some other believers to speak some words into your life. You know, so you can laugh with other people. Sometimes you'll cry with other people. Sometimes you'll smile and sometimes you'll be really irritated because sometimes people get in your business and you don't want them in your business. But as believers, we're supposed to walk this life together with other believers so we can disciple one another. We can live the truth of the gospel with each other. So we can talk and point out the things that Jesus tolerates and the things that he doesn't. And so we can live in true hope and true grace and true life. Because that's what he calls us to. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it really means to live on mission with you. Father, it's so hard to even talk about a word like tolerance because it's been so misunderstood And it's so jaded. And because the society we live in tells us that it is all about us. And when we think we can't have exactly what we want and exactly the way that we want, we feel offended. But that's really simply because we have put ourselves in your place. We think we ourselves are God and not you. So teach us today how to understand you as God and Savior and Lord and King, but also as Redeemer and Friend. We thank you that you love us the way that we are, and yet love us too strongly to leave us there. That you do not call us to be a people who live in simple stagnation, That you call us to be a people who live in the hope and grace and truth of your gospel. That the more that we live and understand what you call us to, the more that we live that in each other's lives. And you are greater lifted up and you are greater known because your children have their focus upon you. I thank you that your grace and love and kindness is what leads us to the place of repentance. That it is not a whip. That it is not harsh and angry words, but it is grace and kindness. Teach us to be a people who live in that hope, putting all the things together that you've said in your scriptures. So we live lives that fully honor you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.